Good morning. I am so honored to be here with you today and to give Casey the day off from work so he can enjoy Mother's Day and relax. Um, Does that seem wrong to you? That seemed off to me too. Don't worry. Karma got him this morning. He's at home with a sick child with a stomach bug. So, you know. There is, there is vengeance there. So nothing says Happy Mother's Day like the sound of a vomiting child in your bed at 6 a.m. So the Langford home has been a very fun place this morning. Um, but really and truly, all kidding aside, I am so honored to be here today. This is really special. This is actually the first time I've preached at other churches, but I've never actually been able and we were at a church where I was allowed to preach at our home church. So it's really special that I get to actually preach to my church family. Um, and it's Mother's Day. And what a great day to honor and celebrate all of our moms out there. And I mean, y'all truly are superheroes. You are chefs, you are doctors, you wear so many different capes. And don't get me started on the mom's stare, the power of that stare. In fact, I could try to describe it and illustrate it for you. I'm pretty good at it. You can ask my kids. But instead, I would like for you to see how powerful in this video all of the moms out there are. When I was 28, the most amazing thing happened to me. I became a mom. I thought the changes I was going through would stop once the baby was born. Oh, hey. Where's Annabeth? Ugh, Mom's watching her downstairs so I can finally take a shower. Really looking forward to this. Your mom's here? You think you're becoming a little too dependent on her? But I was wrong. I don't know. I, we were just talking and he said something stupid, so I, I glared at him. Your powers have awoken. Southern moms are special. We have abilities that can't be explained. I can help you hone those abilities. I don't understand. I can't see anything. How am I supposed to keep an eye on Annabeth if I can't see anything? Use your other eyes. My other eyes? Ah! I saw you doing that. The eyes in the back of your head. Something amazing is happening to me. I have all these new thoughts and feelings. You're no longer one person. You're many. You're a doctor, a teacher, a chef, a coach. You'll see things in ways you haven't before. Hey, what's wrong? This isn't enough food. I need to make more food. And unleash your true power. Within you lies a great force. We call it the look. It is a glare with power to strike unimaginable fear in almost anyone. Almost? Well, 
anyone except me, sweetie. Now, why should these children behave? I'm your mother. <laughs> and I said so. There's one thing I don't understand. Now that I'm a mom, what happens to you? Oh, I've developed special powers of my own. Candy? <laughs> no, that would spoil our supper. Just try and stop me. <clears throat> so, I love that video. I laughed way too hard when I saw it. And I thought, it's so true. We have this amazing power uh, in our stairs. And um, I wish I could say that I, I've always used my stare um, just to correct my children mildly, but that would be a lie. And we're in church, so I probably shouldn't do that on Sunday and Mother's Day. But, you know, we've been going through this, this series of messy families, and, and being a mom is hard. I mean, there are days that I wake up and I think it is the most amazing blessing to be a mother to my kids and then there are days where I Google what child abandonment laws look like and try to see if there's a good flight to a Caribbean place where I can braid hair on a beach. Um, and so all of us moms have those good days and those bad days. And um, here in a minute, I'm going to show you one of my, one of my less good days. So... Um, I don't know if your family, if Sunday mornings are kind of tough, but many Sunday mornings there's crying, screaming, kicking, and that doesn't even include what the kids are doing. And so we see it's a tough Sunday morning. So this picture I'm going to show you to set the scene is that we are... Uh, all of my kids, I have all four of them. Uh, Gatlin is two years old. Millie's just an infant. So I have nursed babies, changed diapers, and gotten all the kids dressed. My sweet mother-in-law has bought these adorable smocked outfits for Gatlin and Millie. And she would like a picture on a Sunday morning. And I was like, okay, we can do this. And I don't... I don't actually remember what I said to my children before this picture was taken, but I'm pretty positive my head spun around and pea soup came out. Um, so so here's, here's this picture. Um, yeah, my kids are just so happy to be with me. Can you all not tell from the face? Um, Gatlin looks genuinely horrified that I'm holding him. Millie, Millie, you can kind of see her behind Addison. I think Audrey was trying to protect her from me uh, in this picture. And so, moms, this is, this is my gift to you on Mother's Day. When you think you're having a bad day, you're not that bad. You're, you're better than that. Uh, but really and truly, being a mom is a hard thing. It's messy some days. Some days it's easy. Some days it's really difficult. Um, but... One of the things that I love about being part of a church family is that you get to kind of do life with other moms. 
So to begin, I want to jump into uh, the Old Testament. And I'm going to talk about a story. This is actually probably one of my very favorite stories from Scripture. Um, We see this very unlikely hero in this story. Um, We see that God uses this person in a special way, even though she was not the most likely person to be uh, used. So Joshua has been in charge of of bringing the Israelite people into the promised land. God is giving the land to them. There's a little bit of a snag because there are already people in that land and they kind of think it's their land and they don't believe in God. So they didn't get the memo that God was giving them. And so we see Joshua going through out this time of the Old Testament and taking over all of these cities and God's giving them to them. So Joshua comes to the city of Jericho. Now Jericho was like the pentagon of cities in the time. I mean, super fortified walls. It was not going to be an easy feat for them to actually be able to attack this city. So Joshua does due diligence and he knows God's promised this city to them, but he goes in and he sends in two spies. And these two spies go and they go into the city and they meet this woman by the name of Rahab. Now, we don't know a ton about Rahab. We do know that Rahab was a prostitute. Um, I've seen some people try to make it like she was an innkeeper. Nope, she was a prostitute. So we don't know a ton about her, but we do know that she was a broken woman. She had a past. Something has happened in her life that she is desperate to choose to earn money this way. Now, I will say that during this time, it wasn't like she could go to college and become a school teacher, go out and get a job. That was not a profession that was um, for women. Women had very little opportunities in this day and age. And so we see that Rahab, this broken woman, living this very ungodly life. And we see, first thing, they run into Rahab. And, and we see that in chapter 2 of Joshua, in verse 9, is a very interesting thing to see. So it says, she said to them, Rahab, to the spies, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that it's a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came over out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorite east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. So we see this, we kind of skim over that sometimes when we're reading the story of of Rahab, but she knew God. She knew that God was the Lord. Somehow, this is a very prophetic message that Rahab just delivered. Like she knows that they are going to get to have the city, that God is giving it. And we don't necessarily know how that developed, but it makes you wonder, Rahab must have had some kind of relationship with God, that he spoke her to her in this way, that she knew that he was going to be giving the city of Jericho to the Israelites. So 
Other things that we know, we know that, so she's an unlikely hero, hero of the story for a bunch of reasons. Um, and the next thing we see is that she's extremely brave, tremendously. So Rahab chooses to hide these spies in her home. Now, if the king of Jericho had found out, it wasn't like they were going to give her a speeding parking ticket violation, a misdemeanor. She was going to be executed. She was going to be brought out into the middle of the town and probably tortured. And she knew this. I mean, they weren't exactly nice people at the time. And so she was brave enough to defy her people to protect these two Israelite spies because she knows they serve this powerful God. So we see that she hides the spies, but she's also a pretty smart woman. Another thing we get to see, because after she hides these spies, she negotiates, which I love that about Rahab. Here she is, not necessarily a place to negotiate, but she kind of negotiates a situation for her family, a promise for her family to be spared from um, the Israelite people. And so, as we all know in the story, they tell her to hang a red cord from her, her uh, window of her home and that they were going to save and spare her family. So after this goes on, <clears throat> we see this really crazy story of the Israelite people prancing. I don't know if they pranced, but in my imagination, they kind of pranced around the city uh, and they did this for six days. So day one, I'm sure the, the people of Jericho were kind of like, oh no, this is, this is not going to be good. You know, we've heard about these people. They serve this big God. Day two, you know, I kind of started feeling like they're going to start mocking the Israelite people a little bit. You know, by day five, I mean, they are just, have got to be belly laughing at this point about the Israelites. They have no idea what's going on, but they're just walking around with the Ark of the Covenant, going to see what happens. But as we know in the story, on day seven, God performs this amazing miracle. And the whole walls come down and they take over the city. Now, <clears throat> the Israelite people were not exactly welcoming. You know, we talk a lot about um, Cinco Ranch as a place to belong. And we, we handed out welcome mats, you know, welcome home to our church. Israelite people, not like that. Like, you're not born an Israelite, we're probably going to kill you. That's kind of their, their MO. They weren't exactly letting other people come in. So when they took over a city, they typically annihilated the entire people of that city. But we see, and really this is something that is so special that we just kind of skim over very quickly. And we look at verse 6. Uh, chapter 6, excuse me, verse 25, and we see this interesting interaction. So they've taken over the city. They have kept their promise. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Well, they murder everybody. This is not what they do. But we see Rahab living among the people, the Israelite people. She's camping with them. She's doing life with them. She's traveling with them. She's having meals with them. And we see this, this interesting, unusual interaction 
that the Israelites do for Rahab. This is not what they typically would have done, but they let her live among. They did life together. And then we see God bless her very specifically in Matthew 1 that she's part of the lineage of Christ. Now, we all believe and know that God is sovereign in all situations and over all things. So Rahab being in the lineage of Christ was not an accident. It was specific. God had a plan for her when he sent the spice to her. And his plan was that she was going to be part of this lineage of Christ. She would never have been part of this lineage of Christ if they had not chosen to allow her to do life with them. And I really think this is a great example of what God really envisions for our church. And we see this in the Old Testament of this doing life together and accepting people in that maybe are unusual, maybe different, maybe just don't quite belong, but they opened him in. We see moving forward into the New Testament, we see that, um, that Jesus also gives us this example. And that was the verse that uh, Alan read for me earlier. And we see that this, this crazy interaction where Jesus's mother and um, brothers are outside and they come to him and they're like, they're waiting for you. And Jesus just says this incredible thing. Um, I think there's the next slide. Yeah, there we go. As Jesus was speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We talk a lot about that in church. We talk a lot about you know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see that this is what he had envisioned. Now, many of us in here may have fantastic families that we're, we're born into or married into. I actually do. I have a great family that I love. And I've married into two, two good families uh, worth of in-laws. I've been very blessed. But that's not always everyone's situation. And I love that God knew that we wouldn't always have blood family that was going to be the best for us. And he initiated and developed the church to be our family, to be the people. And and sometimes we have to draw boundaries with our own blood family. And Jesus is saying he's choosing his church family over his blood family. And we see that he has this design because he knows, just as we've been talking about, families are messy. Um, And our church family is no different. We are definitely messy. We are not made of perfect people. Um, But together, we, when we do life together, are this beautiful portrait and part of the gospel message. After my husband passed away, Michael, um, a sweet friend that I still don't know who it was to this day from First Colony gifted me a trip to Europe. And so we went to France in this amazing opportunity to travel over there. And, you know, Church of Christ does amazing things. I love our faith tradition. But 
we don't have pretty churches. Can we be honest? Like, our churches are thugly. Like, I mean, I think we've taken it as a badge of honor. Like, yeah, we're that ugly church over there, but we're serving the Lord and speaking it. You know, and, and so we kind of have these hideous churches. So one of the things when you're in Europe is you get to go and, and see all these fantastic cathedrals. And the architecture is just absolutely stunning. And you're like, man, why can't we have some good-looking churches? Um, But one of the things that each of these cathedrals has that's very central in each of the architecture and is just highlighted are stained glass. And I I found it so interesting, all these gorgeous pieces of stained glass artwork. And the cool thing, if if you know the history, is they actually served a very specific purpose. So when these cathedrals were built... Um, most of the people that worshipped at the cathedrals actually could not read, was completely illiterate. And so each of these, and it's kind of hard to see, but each of these little frames is a Bible story. And each of them represents, and it allowed the people that couldn't read Scripture to be part of Scripture, to see a portrait of Jesus and to be part of the gospel message in that way. And it's, it's interesting because each of, these, each of these stained glass are made up of broken glass that's been cut and soldered together to portray this gospel message. And I can't help but kind of think that our church family is kind of like a stained glass. And we're made of, of broken people. Some of us have some sharp edges on occasion. We might even actually accidentally cut each other, but we choose intentionally to be soldered together. And you know why? Because we want to be a portrait of Jesus. And in that process, that that broken edge, the edge that was sharp and weak part of the glass has now been soldered together and is now stronger. And it's a strong, we're on those edges where it's been soldered together. The weaker part is now the center of that glass. And I think about how, as a portrait, we're working very hard to portray this message of Jesus. And sometimes we have to specifically choose to be soldered together. Casey and I have been blessed to be part of lots of church families and um, the, the, the wonderful joy sometimes of ministry. And each of those families was unique and special, and we loved them immensely, and they had their beautiful, you know, church DNA. But I will say, as cliche as this is a place to belong is, I mean, that phrase is every church is using it, y'all. But this church, it's true. This is a place to belong. It's different here than it has been at any other church. And I think it really truly is because I think our church recognizes that we're all pieces of broken glass. But there's also this intentionality of being soldered together. We want to do life together. We want to laugh with each other. We want to cry with each other, just as the song said. We want to be part of each other's daily lives. 
And we want to choose to do that. And when you choose to do that, it does take a little effort and a little bit of work because guess what you have to show to be soldered together with somebody? You're broken, your broken pieces, and your sharp edges. You have to be willing to be open and transparent with somebody to bond that relationship and to be soldered together with them. We have been so blessed to come to Cinco Ranch. Uh, we have loved all the people here, but we have found a very special, very special group of people at Cinco Ranch. And um, that's our life group. They're not, except for the Ballmans, they weren't in the picture because they weren't here. And the Hey Life group, we've got to do a better job of taking pictures, okay? Um, we, we do life together. Um, we are messy people. We are so not perfect. Uh, we have taken that verse of repopulate the earth very, very seriously. We have about 18 million children between all of us. Um, and, they, and, they're, and they're not quiet, calm children. None of us have bred that. We have bred very busy, rambunctious children. But I love when we go out to eat and a stranger looks at our table of all 800 million of us um, we kind of notice they give us a back room. I don't, I don't know what that's about, guys. Um, I think they're trying to send us a little bit of a message. But if you look at our life group at lunch on a Sunday after church, you will not be able to know whose mom is, belongs to what kid. We pass babies around. We have other moms taking ki- you know, your kid to the bathroom. There's a mom over here cutting steak. We're disciplining, you know, fussing at kids. You would have no earthly idea which kid belongs to who. And on this Mother's Day, I can't help but be really grateful for the five women that are in that life group. Oh, I'm gonna cry. Because my kids don't just have that mom at the beginning with the face. They're not stuck with just her. They have five other moms who love them, who celebrate when they have a a ballet recital or when they make all-star baseball or when they poop in the potty. Yeah, we we celebrated Harrison. Way to go. Uh, (laughs) We do life together. It is messy. It's fussy, it's crazy, it's loud, it's rambunctious, but we have all chosen to be soldered together. And when people see that, we've had people at restaurants go, so what, y'all are like a church group? And y'all all like each other? And all the husbands like each other? And the wives like each other? And the kids play well together? And we're like, yeah, it's like a miracle. But it takes intentionality. It doesn't necessarily always just come easy. We walk alongside each other. We worry when when each other's kids are sick and we're running food to each other. When someone has a new baby, we celebrate. We do life together, just like Rahab did life with the Israelites. And we've chosen to be soldered together, even though we're messy We're not perfect. We have some sharp edges. Some of us, you know, are sharper than others uh, on occasion. But we still choose because we know that we are a better portrait of the gospel message when we're doing life together. 
And zooming out, my kids don't just have these five mamas in Jack and Kara and Jennifer and Aaron and Rose. They also have five dads that love them, that are showing my son what it looks like to be a godly father, my daughters what it looks like to be a a loving husband and a loving father. My girls are going to pick better husbands because of these five men because their standards are gonna be high. And zooming out even more, my kids don't just have these five parents in their lives filling in the gap when Casey and I fail, and we fail. Don't ask the children, okay? They'll tell you the truth. But my kids have grandparents here, too. Millie loves Glenda Ravinelli. They have the sweetest little conversations every Sunday and it melts my heart. Addison hates to be touched, y'all. She hates it, but she lets Darren Ravy hug her every Sunday. She won't, I got a hug for Mother's Day. That was my gift from her. She won't even hug me, and I'm her mom. Melanie asks Addison how she's doing and knows about her medical problems, and, and, and Melanie's prays for Addison, and Addison knows that. All of our kids know that Miss Leslie is good for some candy in her office, and she's there. She has taken care of countless times, watched babies when one of us have something go happening, and the list could go on and on. But as you're hearing this, you may be sitting going, I don't feel like I've been soldered in. I haven't found my people to do life with. Well, remember I told you it takes some intentionality And maybe God today is calling you to let Miss Leslie know or Casey or one of the elders that you're ready to be part of a life group. Um, Our life group is hopefully even growing with a new couple, Jason and Joanna. (laughs) And, And that's what it's supposed to be. We're going to be bringing in new families. And it means my kids have more parents. And, but you have to choose to be soldered together. As the praise team comes out, I'm going to invite our prayer team towards the back as well. Each and every one of these individuals on our prayer team are really special people. They are not here to judge you. They are are here to pray for you and be there for you. And maybe today God's calling you to share that broken side of you with one of them and ask for some prayers. And and as we looked at Rahab doing life with Israelite people, let us not forget that Rahab was a pretty broken woman. And I I think I draw to that story um, because I haven't always been perfect. I've been far from it. But if God can use Rahab to be in the lineage of Christ, God can use any of you but it may require that you need some people soldered around you to be able to do that, just like Rahab. Let's continue worship.